Okay, we are live. How you doing? This is the John Riley Project. How are you? It's Friday, getting ready for the weekend. We're going to be getting a little bit of rain, so hopefully we're going to be all right. But uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. You know, this is episode 186, and, you know, we're all reeling in the election news, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, you know, just kind of the aftermath of the election and what's next, you know, what's coming up next. This is what I really want to talk about. Um, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us, you know, and, uh, it's a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, before we get started, one of our, uh, listeners, um, one of our frequent listeners, frequent commenters, he, uh, reached out to me. We had a cup of coffee this morning and I'll tell you why this is the greatest thing about doing this podcast is not only is it fun, I get to express myself in a lot of ways, but I meet so many interesting people, so many good people here in my hometown of Poway and outside of Poway. So, um, I just want to thank you all for, listening and, and watching. It's, it's, this is a great experience for me, and I hope it's good for you, too. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so it's Joe Biden. All right, <laughs> everybody, they haven't announced it, but we know the answer. It's going to be President Joe. And uh, wow. So w- w- the whole thing leading up to this, and I knew I think we all knew that election day or election night was not going to be a definitive day. We all knew that it was going to take some time to get through all this. We were expecting some legal battles. And sure enough, that's, you know, on the horizon, if not already started. So it's playing out pretty much the way I thought it would be. I knew Biden was going to win. You know, as I got closer to election day, I was starting to hedge my bets. I thought it might be Trump a little bit, but you know, I still thought Biden was going to win. And ultimately it was him. The, The funny thing about this is, is that the people that normally say all lives matter are the ones that are having trouble accepting the fact that all votes matter. And then the people on the other side of this, the people that were really for Black Lives Matter ended up nominating the two worst candidates, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, um, to fight the criminal injustice problems because those two were a big part of the problem that we have now. So it just it's just unbelievable the way, way this all turns out. It's just, you know, it's like a storybook. It's like you can't make it. Uh, what do they say? This um, it's 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 almost like a fictional story playing out, but it actually is real. But it's interesting watching the cable news and you know it's like groundhog day with those guys i mean it doesn't matter if you turn on the news at eight in the morning or at 12 noon or at four o'clock they seem to be repeating the same data over and over again going over the same states and they're just so desperate for the next batch of like eight thousand votes so they can update their numbers and show the gaps closing um but it's fun to watch i mean i love watching one of my favorites is steve kornacki you know he does the big board on MSNBC. And I always thought he does a pretty good job and he's just really into it. And then I like how the hosts sort of, um, what's the right word? They, they kind of glorify him to a degree, you know, and, and kind of make him out to be a superhero because of how good he is on the big board. But I, I know I, the, the, the cable news is interesting because they make it sound like, you know, it's imminent. We're going to find out information. They keeping you on the edge of your seat. And really that's good showmanship. That's good television to make sure they maximize ratings. So it doesn't matter what the event is, you know, they thrive on 
do pushing the emotional hot buttons that keep us watching. Um, but you know, and then they were showing the crowds that were protesting, um, in front of the, the registrar of voters in, uh, Maricopa County, you know, out there in Phoenix, that was interesting. I mean, here, Normally, the, you know, Trump is saying, you know, stop the count, stop the count, you know, not count Chocula, but stop the counting of the votes. But in Arizona, they want the counting of the votes to continue. You see a lot of Trump supporters out there protesting and and then you see them actually put up uh, closed. How do I how should I say they're kind of boarding up the windows so that you couldn't see inside uh, where they're counting the votes. And. My hunch is they were putting up those uh, uh, those panels just in case the the crowd got rowdy and they started throwing things and breaking glass. But it's still it's not a good look. I mean, it definitely plays into the fear of those that are calling out transparency issues and and we don't know what's going on in back there and who's counting the votes and everything else. So. Um, you know, I think we have a lot to learn with this election process, but, you know, still with the media, I think I think they did a good job covering a lot of this. The MSNBC had a reporter there in Maricopa at the Registrar of Voters and this is a young man, you know, getting started in journalism. And he did a really good job by explaining how an ink pen and a smudge versus a Sharpie and how you fill it in and doing a demonstration and. Oh, it was really good television and it was all live and, you know, wasn't rehearsed. And, you know, you got to give some of these guys credit in the media, the way they're covering it. And, you know, does some of them have biases? Well, yeah, they all have biases, right? Every one of them is rooting for somebody. Um, you know, you would assume most of the media are rooting for Biden to win. And that kind of plays out in how they build up the drama for this. But still, you know, they're still doing a good job covering the story and and trying to report the facts as they see them. So, you know, as we go through this, my complaint isn't so much with the media, but it does invite questions like, is this how we do an election? Now, you know, it's on some things that we're the way we do the elections in America makes sense, you know, and I'll put make sense in quotes. You know, the way that the elections are all local management, you know, because they're managed at the county level, like here in San Diego, we have the registrar of voters that's out there in Kearney Mesa, and they manage all the precincts in the county and the data bubbles up to them. And then I guess the secretary of state, right, at the state level, just sort of you know, it's a hierarchical thing, right? They gather all the data from the registrar of voters and ultimately the states, you know, submit their count. Um, So, you know, there's going to be differences in how they do the vote state by state. But what is interesting is how the system is just so manual, so dependent on humans, so susceptible to not just fraud, but to human error. And is there fraud? Well, I mean, I'm sure there is, but and people could probably point to examples. I saw a video of a poll worker that leaned in and made sure no one was looking and then filled out a, a ballot for somebody. So there's definitely fraud that exists, but does it exist to the degree that it would actually make a difference in the end result, even in some of these super close races? I see no evidence of that, you know, so um, but still it makes you wonder, is there a better way to do these elections? Um, Is there a way the, 
you know, to automate it, you know, so can we, you know, we, we can bank online, you know, why can't we vote online? And if we voted online, could we trust that the data was being handled properly? It's a lot of questions. I'm not sure the best way to handle it. Uh, Bruce McCoy jumps in on the live stream and the U S is asked to monitor other countries elections. No more. Now that's a great point. You know, we are often, we, I say America is often brought into these third world countries to be the team that overlooks the elections to make sure they're legit. Who's overlooking our elections? Um, that's, that's a fair point. And, you know, in my opinion, you got to have maximum transparency and the transparency is what builds trust, putting boarded up, you know, plywood or, or formica board over windows is what, you know, diminishes and erodes trust. So we have to have transparency no matter how we do it. But, you know, people will say, well, we need voter ID. We need to make sure that real Americans are voting. But even if they had voter ID so that, you know, illegals couldn't vote, you still have the issue of a registrar of voters and the humans you know, opening envelopes or or working through, you know, ballots. And there's potential for lots of problems. So in a world when we're going and becoming more and more automated, more and more digital, more and more precise, it's interesting how voting remains like something from the 19th century. It's like it just really hasn't evolved very much. Um, but you know, I, I think what's interesting is we we all get hung up on the the vo- we're hung up on the election results and people are hung up on fraud and different states and different counties and and it's like this game it's like a sporting event it's like the Super Bowl but sometimes I think God wouldn't it be great if the president you know I was just talking with you know our my my podcast uh, listener earlier this morning wouldn't it be great if the president of the United States was just sort of you know the president of the government and they just sort of managed the the government and they didn't really have that big of an impact on our lives and then if there is an election and it you know it gets a little bit messy you figure well those guys will figure it out it's not a big deal but for us it's a huge deal we've turned it into a big deal the media loves that it's a big deal because it generates eyeballs to this whole thing uh, but I still wonder there's got to be a better way to do these elections I, I don't know the answer um, but it would be a fun topic to explore um, I remember when I was um, you know on the board for the Poway National Little League and we would have elections for our board and um, I remember we did most all the elections were done with paper ballots and then when I was on the board I implemented the election on Survey Monkey and it worked really well now obviously we can't have Survey Monkey to to you know vote for president but I think there's got to be a way to do something electronically um, so that the data is more secure, even if we voted electronically at a voting at a polling place. So we can eliminate at least the humans that are in those big rooms that are going through all the ballots. But I think as long as we have 
mail-in balloting, that'll be an issue. But is there a way to do online balloting? But then if you do it online, that probably opens up hackers and everything else. So I, I don't have the answer. I just know the way we do it is, is cumbersome. So the right answer, really, the way we do it, even when it is cumbersome, is just to make it insane transparent. I mean, to put live webcams in every one of these facilities to allow uh, you know candidates to have multiple people there viewing, to allow the media in as much as possible. This needs to be as out in the open as, as we possibly can do it. So like they say, sunshine is the best disinfectant. That, to me, that's got to be the thing that we can do immediately uh, to make sure this process works best. Um, but, you know, how about the Trump reaction? So I, I saw the, the piece yesterday when he got up there and he's saying, well, you know, I'd be the winner if if we only counted the legal votes, you know, but once they count the illegal votes, you know, and, and just what was coming out of his mouth was amazing. And, you know, they almost all of the major media, they cut away from President Trump when he started saying these things. You know, there's always suspicion that there are illegal votes. There's suspicion that there's fraud, but there is never really any, how should I say, just significant evidence. I mean, people can point to little things that have happened. Um, People will say, well, they just found a batch of 13,000 votes. Where do those come from? You know, there's probably a reason for that. People have, have commented that they've seen ballots being tossed away in the trash. Is that true? I don't know. Well, if it is, bring the evidence forward. Um, And I think in Trump's case, it's interesting because here he is basically condemning the integrity of the election. But do you notice that no other Republicans are standing up next to him and supporting him? The only people that are supporting him on this is the Trump family and that Trump inner circle. Because you can't imagine that someone like Mitch McConnell, who was just reelected as a senator from Kentucky, there's no way in hell he's going to say there was voter fraud. Because he just won. He was just reelected. So they, the, the other politicians, especially of the Republicans, they, they are, they're, they're absolutely silent on this issue. Um, and that's the smart thing for them to do. So, you know, Trump is sort of out there in the wilderness on his own. Um, and it's funny, too. He says he's going to we want to stop the count, stop the count. But if they stopped the count, he would have lost. Hey, Fernando Garcia showing up on the live stream. You know, Fernando, I've talked about you quite a bit on this podcast as we've been covering a little bit of the 53rd congressional race. Fernando was a guest on our podcast and was a congressional candidate. I thought, Fernando, you were terrific. I thought you would have been a great addition to the United States Congress. And he says, I think we need more days to vote, maybe a week long. Yeah, I don't. I think that's good. Um, the longer we have to vote, the better. Um, some people have said we need a national holiday to vote. I, I don't really agree with that uh, because if we can vote by mail or you know maybe vote online, you know then there's no need to take a holiday. Um, you know it's silly how in some parts of the country there are these insane lines. I didn't have any line at all. In fact, I went down to the postal annex here in Poway, right next to the target. And there was a registrar of voters representative there with a registrar of voters, official drop box. I mean, it took me five seconds to drop off my ballot. It was the easiest thing in the world. And I know some people went to Poway high and voted. I didn't even know that was actually a polling place. Um, must be for some of the precincts. My son went down to, um, I think it was, um, 
was it Midland Elementary, I think is where he had to go because he voted day of and there was no line. He said he allotted an hour for the elections process for himself and he was in and out in five minutes. Uh, Kevin Kennedy uh, on the live stream says we need voter ID. You know, this is an interesting topic. So uh, voter ID, I think a lot of people want voter ID to make sure that illegals don't vote, that people aren't stealing ballots from other people and voting in their name or 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 grabbing fake IDs and voting. Well, even if voter ID exists and and people are being checked um, at the polling place. Still, when the ballots are there at the registrar of voters, that's where we're seeing a lot of potentially suspicious activity that doesn't solve that problem. Um, I've, I, and I, I hear the voter ID people make a comment. They say, well, we need an ID for everything else. You need an ID to buy alcohol. You need an ID to, you know, yada, yada, yada. But voting is a right. Voting is a right that is, um, you know, that we have earned. Um, vote, you shouldn't have to ask permission from the government to express a right. So yeah, voter ID, getting an ID that, you know, some people say that's racist and people can't get IDs. Well, that's just, those are such crazy exceptions to the rule. Getting an ID isn't hard. In fact, if, if, if it, became difficult, they should allow many versions of IDs um, if it came down to that, if we did have voter ID. But I don't know. I don't think voter ID necessarily solves the problem. Um, but it is an interesting topic. But again, the whole process of elections, it's it's cumbersome. It's it, There's so much human activity that it is, um, you know, inefficient. It's um, there's potential for human error. There is a potential for human fraud. But again, I, we haven't seen tremendous evidence of that. So I think that's a little bit of a red herring. Um, and, but let's let's just move on. I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about Trump and the reaction. You know, so I guess we're going to start to see lawsuits being filed in all of these states and the legal. And you knew the, the lawyers were all getting organized and they've been getting ready for months waiting for this. But, but if the president is out there kind of on an island by himself without support of other Republicans filing these lawsuits and he doesn't have it really focused on one state, but they got lawsuits all over the place. At some point, that's kind of a bad look, too. It's kind of a look of a sore loser that's trying to do everything he can to turn it uh, back in his direction. Um, speaking for myself, um, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter and I'm not a Biden supporter. So I didn't have a dog on the hunt on this. And I voted for I voted for Joe, but not Joe Biden. I voted for Joe Jorgensen, uh, the libertarian candidate for president. Um, but uh, to me. Trump being uh, taken down by Biden for me is a lot of its addition by subtraction. Um, I'm no fan of what Biden's going to do, but I'm uh, I'm definitely not a fan of Trump and and all of the not just his policies, but his character and a lot of the things he does, you know, since he's been in office. I'm going to be very pleased when he is eventually removed from the White House. So this next couple of months are going to be very interesting, you know, until we get to Inauguration Day and how the whole thing sorts out. Um, Kevin Kennedy says, hopefully we all learn more about the process. And I agree with that. Hopefully we learn more about the 
voting process. Um, it's kind of like when we had the problem with the water here in Poway, we all learned a lot more about how our water system worked in Poway. And that was a good thing. But with the voting situation, I, I think we do all need to learn more because sometimes you just sort of blindly vote and then our envelope goes in the mail or it's dropped off at a registrar of voters site, but we never see what happens to it. And I know this year they've been able to do voter tracking where you can see where your ballot is and if it's been processed, if it's made it there in the mail. I think that's good. Um, the, again, more transparency, more information is a good thing. Um, but, you know, just about Trump, I mean, it's just what we saw from him yesterday when he was saying, you know, I would have won this if they only counted the legal votes. I mean, this goes back to his character. And again, he just sees the world as I've always said, he sees the world not as win-win, but as win-lose. He wants to win so other people can, uh, he wants other people can lose so he can win. Now, yeah, sure. That's what happens in elections. There are winners and losers, but it's like he will go to whatever extent is necessary to win, even if if he has to cross the line and go into immoral, unethical behavior. And that's really the, the line I think he crossed when he was calling out um, the integrity of the election process when he had no evidence to support him. But it, it is funny. I mean, you know, my wife and I, we'll, we're talking and you know, we, we both, you know, neither of us are big Trump supporters. And we're like, How, why do people, it's an interesting thing. Why do people support Trump? And, um, Again, with a little more comment here from Kevin Kennedy. No feedback from ballot tracks as of today. Really? So did you, Kevin, did you vote in the mail and um, you haven't seen any in- information on your on your uh, ballot? Hmm. I've seen reports of other friends of mine that have told me that their ballot wasn't received, then it was eventually received, then it was processed. That's interesting. Um, but going back to Trump, it, it, I always wonder, you know, what people's motivation is on who they vote for. And we can, you know, I I know with Biden, let's be real. There's not a lot of people that are really fallen in love with Joe Biden. You know, Biden, you know, well, maybe some people because he was Obama's vice president and people loved Obama. But generally speaking, Biden doesn't elicit a lot of warm fuzzies and make us feel good for most people. I mean, I get why people love Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Andrew Yang. And I understand why people love AOC. I mean, I don't agree with him, but I I understand it. But with Biden, to me, the main thing that makes Biden who he is, is that he's not Trump. And I think that's 99% of the reason people are voting for Biden is because, A, they're just straight Democrat voters, or B, they want to get Trump out. Um, But it does make you wonder, why do people vote for Trump? And you you might think, well, these rich conservatives and, you know, all they care about are low taxes and they're willing to look their other way. And, you know, there's some of that. You know, like for me, me and my family, um, I I enjoyed the, the Trump tax break, and it's not because we're just super rich, but it's because I own an S corporation, I own a small business, and when the Trump tax cuts went in, they were largely corporate taxes, and for S corps and other pass through entities, we were able to get more write offs, which you know dropped my taxable income and ultimately saved us money, as I remember comparing multiple years, so. I'm probably financially better off with Trump than I would be with Biden. 
but I would never vote for Trump, not in a million years. Um, but it is interesting. And then, you know, then there's a lot of people that maybe aren't rich, but still support Trump. And, you know, my theory there has always been that they must be, um, you know, they just want a fighter. They want someone to fight for them and, you know, try to help them get their life on track. And there are people that are very religious that voted for Trump and still vote for Trump. That one really is odd. Um, These are the same religious people that said that that when President Clinton was in uh, in the White House in the 1990s, they were aghast at the Monica Lewinsky scandal and they wanted to restore integrity and decency in the White House. And that's why they elected a a God fearing Christian man from Texas, George W. Bush. But those same people then will defend President Trump even though his personal character makes Clinton look like a little Boy Scout. Um, So amazing. Um, The reasons people vote for people, (laughs) you know, and and then you wonder like, well, if, if only rich people wanted to vote for Trump, why don't people in Hollywood and all those rich actors, why didn't they vote for Trump? And I've always thought a lot of the people sort of live in a world of contradiction, right? You know, on one hand, they like to present themselves as these, these altruists that really, want to sacrifice their life for the benefit of the other people. And, and they want to look like that they're there for the common man, but they're just as much as Trump and others are gathering money as fast as they can. Um, it's interesting. I, again, I think they live in a world of contradiction to a great degree. Um, but yeah, so we're going to see more of this bad character with Trump, I think, as this election, you know, lame duck period goes, especially in the next couple of weeks as we're fighting it through. I mean, the race hasn't been officially called, but it's pretty much a done deal. There's going to be fighting uh, in the end. You know, is Trump's stacked Supreme Court going to actually help him? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. I mean, I think the way this thing is trending, if if for some crazy reason the election was overturned and put in Trump's favor, I mean, there would be mass revolution in the streets, I think, that we would see. But the whole process is interesting to me. And then then the local races are something, too. Right. So did you see they had another update last night? And but it was only a modest update. They went from counting. This is San Diego County. They counted roughly 64 percent of the ballots. And that was the update as of Wednesday. And then as of Thursday, they got it up to 68 percent. Now, Generally speaking, most of the races didn't change, but the one that we were keeping an eye on was San Diego County Supervisor District 2, and that's the one involving Poway Mayor Steve Voss and Joel Anderson. That race was previously really tight, and it got tighter. I mean, they've got... I don't know, 220, 230,000 votes have been cast in that election. And the difference between the two candidates, I think, is about 900. So it's like less than half of 1% separating those two candidates. So I must have figured that the Voss family here in Poway, man, they must have been on their computer, on their phone, like wearing out that refresh button, (laughs) waiting for the updates. So they've got to be on the edge of their seat, you know, the Voss family. And I know Voss's daughter, Anna Voss, is out. I assume she's still in Nashville. She's a very special young lady. I don't know if you've seen some of her music. Um, but I, I think she's got a, a good career ahead of her. I'm very impressed with the work that she's done. But she's out there supporting her father online, you know, as she should. Um, but I'm sure the whole Voss family is um, 
they're holding their breath right now. It's probably they probably feel like um, Trump in, um, you know, how Trump was previously feeling in Pennsylvania and how Trump has been feeling, you know, for a while in Georgia, you know, you have the lead, you're holding on to the lead, but that lead keeps eroding and you just hope the clock will run out before, you know, the gap closes. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, and I was, I was actually, I was telling my wife this story and this is a, a funny story. And, um, the first time that I can recall that I ever ran in an election was when I was in the seventh grade and I went to um, like a small little Catholic school in, uh, in Burlingame up in the San Francisco area. And um, we had a student government, you know, we had president and vice president, secretary and treasurer. And there was a position was commissioner of boys athletics. And I was like, oh, I got to do this. And back then in the seventh grade, you know, I, I was not a good athlete I, and I'm still not that great of an athlete, but I just love sports. I always have. And I've always followed them. And I was on my school teams, but I was often on the B team. And, you know, so I but I still love sports. And I ran for that office and I ran against another guy. And his name was Tony. And he was unquestionably the best athlete in the seventh grade. I mean, it wasn't even close. This guy was a stud. And you put a he would play any sport, he was the star. And and going into that election, you know, we had to give speeches in front of the um, the whole school. And, you know, we did them in the gymnasium, and that was a that was a fun experience. Well, anyways, it was like right near the end of seventh grade, you know, kind of like in June, and it's one of those those days where it's like you know they go on a field trip, and it's really not a serious academic day. And we were down at some I don't know park with a swimming pool down like towards Cupertino, towards San Jose. And it was the parents had driven us down there. And all the parents were wondering what happened in the election because a lot of the other kids were running for some of the other offices. Well, you know, we found out who won president, who won vice president. And then they, they came and told me what happened in my election. It was a tie. It was a tie. And they counted and they recounted and they recounted and it was a tie. I mean, and this funny thing is, is I joke about this, how when I'm voting for any sort of an election here, you know, for president or, you know, like when you vote for president, like in the state of California and it's electoral college, winner take all, your vote is never, ever in a million years going to break a tie. I mean, even in local races, it will never break a tie. I mean, you have a better chance hit being hit by lightning than a vote uh, being, you know, in a tie. Um, and I talk about that a lot, but the funny part of it is, is that I was actually in a race where it was a tie and then we had a runoff and I won <laughs> and, oh man, that made me feel good. And, and, and people were just amazed. And, uh, that was just a fun story, but, um, at any rate, uh, yeah. So the race for Steve Voss is, is tightening up and, um, I'm looking forward to the next update. So we're at like 68% of the votes, um, uh, in, in San Diego County have been counted, um, let's see what the next update is. You know, if it's been trending to close the gap, that trend may continue. Um, so we'll see, you know, I predicted Steve Voss to win this race. He came in second place in the primary, but I thought he was doing enough because this is a race between two Republicans. I thought Voss was doing enough to get more of the democratic vote, more of the independent vote in a lot of his messaging and a lot of the policies he's been putting forward here in Poway. And I thought that would be enough to, you know, help boost him and push him over the top against Joel Anderson, who's just a really down the middle kind of a Republican. 
Um, we'll see if that happens. I'm, I'm very curious. The, the other part of the local election that I didn't comment on the last podcast that I should have was Measure E in San Diego. And um, this is the one about um, changing the zoning laws down by the San Diego Sports Arena. Um, and and mostly it was about allowing the height limitation um, to be lifted, because right now I think it's a 30 foot limit on the height in that area. And it passed. And I'm very, very pleased that passed. I think they've got some great visions that they have put forward where they're going to build a um, residential commercial entertainment district uh, with a new and upgraded sports arena. Although some people are criticizing it because it's not going to be big enough to attract an NBA or an NHL team. But still, you know, I go down to the sports arena area a lot um, because my one of my main clients is down there. Now, I don't go as much because of COVID recently, but um, that area, man, I mean, especially on the sports arena side of the street really needs to just kind of be blown up and leveled and then rebuilt from scratch. Just it's been neglected um, and it's such a really strategic location in the city. I mean, it's right near the airport. It's right near downtown. It's close to the ocean. Um, it's, it's in a perfect location that that could be a very, very special area in the city of San Diego. So, um, I was really pleased to see that. Now, the, the other funny part of this is, is that normally, um, our friends on the left are, our friends, Democrats, some might call progressives, historically have been resistant to progress. <laughs> we call them progressives, but sometimes they want to freeze time and not have any development or to strictly limit development. In fact, some of them are NIMBYs, not in my backyard. Well, now we're seeing the Democrats in California, particularly in San Diego, they're calling themselves YIMBYs. Yes, in my backyard. And I can't tell you how refreshing that is to see and hear because in my opinion, the main reason we have a serious housing crisis um, in in California, in San Diego, is because there's just not enough housing. And you have a limited supply. You have massive demand. Everyone wants to live in San Diego. Can you imagine? Um, there's massive demand, limited supply. So what, Econ 101, what happens to the prices? The prices go up. It becomes less and less affordable. It becomes more difficult for you know people to rent an apartment and way more difficult to buy your first home. And then imagine if you are you know, a low income person and you're going to be struggling to get a place to live. And that's part of the reason why we have a homeless problem. I mean, there's many reasons for our homeless crisis. I mean, we can go down that list. But one of those reasons is the fact that housing is so expensive. So the fact that they're going to be building more housing down by the sports arena, it's, you know, the the measure passed. It's great. And I'm happy the Democrats are finally coming around. So there was a post that I I, I put um, I retweeted on, on Twitter and it's a bunch of San Diego Democrats. Um, you know, I mo- many of them on the San Diego City Council. They're in front of a sign that says Yimby. Yes, on my backyard, Democrat San Diego. So it, it's 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 nice to see that. Um, it, and I think. We're even seeing that up in Sacramento. Even Gavin Newsom's figuring this out, that we need to build more. Now, granted, they still want to centrally plan it and, and you know, they got all their conditions and rules, which we can debate. But at least there's now an opening up um, to more development. Now, I know this rubs the wrong way with some of my local friends here in Poway because we've got a lot of development going on in Poway. But the same rules are true. 
There's still a housing crisis. There's still desperate need for housing. They're building more housing and development's always uncomfortable. And, you know, there's a lot of development going on on Poway Road. But, you know, ultimately that's private property. Right. And um that private property is, you know, they should be able to develop on it. Now, the granted, the city council's reviewing these proposals. And, you know, there was just another, um, you know, Fairfield was just making a presentation yesterday to some of the neighbors here in Poway. And um, what was interesting is, is that um, the reports that I had heard was that they had come up with, you know, they really improved their plan. They had reduced the number of units. I think they added, you know, a little bit more, you know, park space, if you want to call it a park. I think that's a debatable topic. Um, and, you know, they're trying to address density and height and a few other things. Now, I don't know what it was. I don't I haven't seen it. I'm going to go back and watch it. Um, but you know, is there going to be even more development on Poway Road? And there's a ton going on now. Um, you know, Again, I I think um, I don't have a problem with the development. Um, I think that development is good. Development is progress. Um, The people that move into these places are going to be very happy to move in. Uh, They're going to have an opportunity to live and enjoy this wonderful city we live in. And the people that move in um, to the housing that's going to be down by the sports arena eventually, whenever that's built, um, hopefully within the next four or five years, they're going to really enjoy that, too. And I think we're going to be surprised that the impact on traffic, the impact on infrastructure is not going to be as bad as some people make it out to be. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We're going to see. Um, But, you know, this, you know, talking about our our friends on the left, our progressive friends, this was a rough election for progressives. I mean, wasn't it, right? I mean, first of all, you, you don't get Bernie, right? Bernie doesn't win the nomination. You don't get Elizabeth Warren, who was, you know, the next best bet for the progressive agenda. Um, You don't even get, you know, someone like, um, you know, who else was kind of a lefty? Well, Kamala Harris definitely qualifies and she's on the ballot. But, you know, Joe Biden was up there. He was adamant against single payer. He was adamant for, you know, more corporate health care insurance because he wanted to improve ACA. Well, actually, he wants to have out of the public option. But, um, you know, Joe Biden is no picture of progressive politics at all. And so and then you add up and you look at these California propositions. You know, we went through a lot of those. And yes, some of those broke in the favor of, of progressives, but a lot of them didn't. I mean, Prop 15 to raise commercial property tax that failed. Um, the the proposition to essentially re-legalize um, racial discrimination, you know, to allow the state to pick and choose people based on their race or their gender or their sexual orientation or the like. That was soundly defeated by voters in California. I was happy to see that. Um, the Uber proposal, you know, the Uber, you know, Uber, Lyft and DoorDash to allow them to be independent contractors, that passed, uh, much to the chagrin of our progressive friends. The rent control proposal failed. I was surprised by that. I thought for sure in a state where we're, you know, everyone is coming to grips with such expensive housing. I thought for sure the progressives would be able to convince enough people to do rent control, but it failed. I think people are waking up to the fact that rent control is bad economics. Um, So it it had to be just a terrible election. And it's looking like, I think, that the Republicans are going to hang on to the Senate. 
Um, so, you know, the the clean sweep isn't going to happen. And, you know, Biden is, is going to have to fight and Pelosi is going to have to fight for everything um, that they want. And they're going to have to figure out ways to compromise with the Republicans. And they're not going to be very happy. They're going to be kind of angry and bitter. So it's going to be difficult for them. So, again, even some of the grand proposals like public option is an example that that um, Biden ran on. That may have a major uphill battle. So this was a tough election uh, for our friends on the left, Um, you know, and 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 obviously a tough election for um, some of our friends on the right, the 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 nationalists, um, the alt right folks that, you know, they're going to go down with Trump. So a very interesting election. Um, But then it makes you wonder a little bit about um, and before we go further, again, this is a live stream. It's we're live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. We welcome your thoughts and comments. Just type them in uh, to the comment section. I'll read them on the air. We'll have a little discussion. Um, but now Biden's going to, you know, he'll be inaugurated. I know it's going to probably be an ugly fight, an ugly mess until we get to inauguration day. And then we'll measure the crowd at inauguration day, right? We'll see how big the crowd was, uh, the more nonsense that we can hopefully turn the page on. Um, and, uh, It'll be interesting to see what Joe Biden does in the first 100 days, right? Because that's what they usually will measure themselves up against. What, what's going to happen in the first 100 days? Are we going to see more executive orders? And, you know, that's when the president can just decide. You know, the president has a phone and a pen and they can, they can sign um, orders, essentially bypassing Congress. And Trump did that and Obama did that. To me, it's just horrible. Um, you know, there, we have, you know, people that are supposedly for democracy. They should be standing up for a democratic system where the House and the Senate vote and then the president actually signs the bills. Because when the president essentially merges two branches of government into one, legislative and executive, and merges them into one, and does so by signing executive orders, I mean, that basically turns our president into a dictator, um, that they can decide whatever they want without having to have co-equal balance of power, you know, with other branches of government. But are we going to see more EOs from Biden? I don't know, you know, or are, are they going to be able to figure out ways to compromise with Republicans? And they might, um, they might be able to do that, but I'm curious to see how that shakes out. Um, But really, more importantly, more important than the first 100 days for Biden, we should be thinking about this in terms of, okay, we've got a new president, right? We're coming up on a new year. Hopefully, we're going to turn the calendar here on 2020 and move into 2021. And and hopefully, the COVID situation is going to improve. And a lot of the bad juju that went on with 2020 is going to hopefully be in the rearview mirror. So... Hopefully we can focus not on where Biden's first 100 days are going to be. We should be thinking similarly for ourselves. What are our first 100 days are going to be? You know, if we were going to start on the same day as Biden or if we're going to start today, what are our next 100 days? Are going to, what are they going to be? And I think these are really important questions we should be asking ourselves. You know, we should be, we, you know, there's all this noise and, you know, we, we enjoy talking about it on the podcast because it's an interesting entertainment and it's interesting current events to discuss, but it always has, we always have to get it back to, you know, what's in it for me, right? (laughs) What does this really mean to you and me? 
Ultimately, we should be thinking, what can we do to improve our own lives? Rather than depending on all these politicians to make decisions for us and, and hope that they make the right decision. And, you know, if you don't vote and you're not with, you know, people say we need to have democracy to make decisions. Well, that only works if you're in the, in the majority. <laughs> but if you're in the minority, you're, you get oppressed. They're, most of life, we have individual choice. We are individuals. We have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We should be choosing what we we are doing with our own lives. And so now that we're kind of moving beyond the election, and yeah, there's going to be some hysteria. Steve Kornacki will still be on the big board at MSNBC. But we should be thinking to ourselves, what can we do to improve our life? How can we disconnect from the political noise? And I'll tell you what, my trip that I just took to Nevada last week was wonderful. And I I can't encourage people to do that enough. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you should go to Pahrump, Nevada. That's no uh, tourist mecca. But getting away, and it's hard to get away with COVID, but you can rent an Airbnb and you don't have to be dealing with a hotel lobby and all that nonsense. You can can be in in all these Airbnbs. They're really good about cleaning things and disinfecting so you can feel safe. But just getting away, getting to another place, and just taking time to focus on yourself, so valuable. You know, some people do it through meditation. I mean, some of us, we just need more sleep. And uh, I didn't get much sleep last night. My dog was going nuts last night barking. Um, I think we have like coyotes that are frequently in our backyard in the middle of the night. But, um, you know, we, just, we need to focus on ourselves. Get better, be better. Um, you know, meditation is great. Journaling has been so rewarding for me. I can't recommend that enough. Um, you know, continue to learn, uh, educate yourself, eat well, focus on you. Um, you know, we're getting into the holiday season right now, you know, and there's going to be a lot of distractions and there's going to be a lot of bad food choices and there's going to be difficulty with COVID. And, you know, apparently, according to Governor Newsom, we can, you know, we're going to be limited in what we can do on Thanksgiving. Did you follow that? I I think it was no more than two households could be together and there were no singing allowed. Is that right? Um, But anyways, you know, there's going to be a lot of drama as there always is during the holiday season. Got to make sure that we kind of disconnect from that and make sure we're focusing on ourselves and thinking, okay, we've got a new president. Maybe there's an opportunity for a new you to start new, to have, to kind of hit your own reset button and have your own first 100 days. And, you know, that's what, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this in a previous podcast, the, you know, the really part of my deeper discovery from my, uh, my last sabbatical last week was this whole notion of mind, body, and happiness. And how I had originally saw it as the physical, the mental, and then the activities that gave me joy. But now I'm realizing at a higher level that they really are representative of mind, body, and happiness and how they are all interlinked Um, and how working on our body also helps work on our mind and on our happiness and, 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 and vice versa and, and in all different directions. This, I think, is going to be a real, just a little subtle thing, but a real breakthrough idea. 
um, that I think is already giving me motivation to continue to do what I've been doing. I've been eating way better this past week. I mean, it's not even close. And a lot of that came from my sabbatical that I took out in Nevada um, when I was able to sort of get my mind sort of reset. I kind of regrounded. Um, it's just so powerful because we get so caught up in the rat race, right? We get caught up in our to-do lists and our job and our family and this and that and everything else. Um, but it's important just to take that time to think about you and the things that you want to do. So yeah, for me, you know, definitely it's going to be about mind, body, happiness. That's a big part of my quote unquote first 100 days. Um, my other focus is going to be on capitalism and, you know, I, I'm going to continue. I have a small business. I'm working on building my business, but I know that as part of this project, the John Riley project, the podcast is just one component of it. It's the one component that takes up most of my time on, but I need to start really working more on developing my own products. Um, and you know, whether they're, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about the possibility of maybe writing a book. Um, I've talked about developing digital training classes to teach a lot of the things that I already know as a business consultant, as a person that's been in the direct marketing industry for 30 years, as a person that has a lot of experience in online digital marketing, as a person that's just gone through the travails of being a business owner. Um, we often take, we often don't take credit for the amount of things that we really do know. Then I think about how can I package that knowledge and have it easily accessible to young people that are getting started in their careers. Um, so a lot of this, I'm thinking now much more about capitalism, ways that I can productize my knowledge so I can monetize this project. Um, you know, when I, I was, you know, talking to my friend this morning and when I started this podcast, um, it was a podcast and it was just kind of a fun thing to try. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk with interesting people. And we had the, you know, the fortune to meet with all the candidates in 2018. And that was wonderful. And we met with many of them again in 2020, had so many great guests on this podcast, but as I got into it more, I realized that I think that there is an opportunity to do something with this project to, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to become a millionaire from it, but I think there's a way to generate some revenue from this. And I just need to figure out a way and coming up and embracing capitalism and productizing um, my my knowledge, my experience and productizing it into various forms of media. I think is a great way for me to go. And so this is something that I'm going to really try to do more of. It's hard though, because, you know, it's always something you want to do, but you never make time to do it because you're always so distracted on all the things on your to-do list. So this is going to become a major push for me to make sure that I prioritize my time properly 
and I'm focused on what's important. Um, so that's going to be a big part of my next, you know, 100 days. And, you know, I'm learning more, you know, I'm, I don't know how much you guys have done in digital marketing, but I've been working with click funnels as, as a way for lead generation and working with active campaign and how I manage a lot of my email campaigns. And I've recently switched over to Kartra. And this is a kind of an all in one, uh, marketing platform for people that are uh, doing business online. And I, I just signed up for that. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting involved with Kartra, learning more about it. I'm going to be transitioning a lot of the, the technology and things that I've already built as part of my project into the Kartra platform. And I think I'll have a platform there that will allow me to host a lot of um, digital uh, courses and put them into a subscription model. So I, I, th- I think this is a good idea. And these are things that I'm going to be working on Definitely for my next 100 days and definitely going into 2021. These are a big part of my focus. Um, the other part, what I'm working on, you know, is like I think about my quote unquote first 100 days. I'm going to continue on my project of addition by subtraction. I got probably 90% of my project done before I left for the week. I still have a little bit of work to do. Um, I still have a few bicycles I need to fix up and give away. I'm still clearing out a little bit of junk in my shed. I'm almost done. I got a little bit more stuff in my garage. It's amazing how much stuff I've gotten rid of. Um, Musical equipment, DVDs, vinyl albums, cassettes, uh, books, um, training, uh, you know, training videos, um, what else? Uh, office supplies, computer equipment, um, tools. Oh my God, so many tools. I have given away or sold or thrown away or recycled or shredded a tremendous amount of stuff. Um, business things, personal things, and it's been awesome. And so I'm going to keep going on that. I'm almost done. Um, but then when I get done with the physical, I'm going to start to you know, do the same thing with um, digital content. I'm going to start to do the same with mental issues, you know, more addition by subtraction. And I, again, on the mental side, I've been working on that too. You know, turning the page on certain things in my life, gaining closure, moving forward with a clean slate. I mean, that's really helpful for me. And the last thing I'm going to try to work on is what my next adventure is going to be. And I don't know what it is yet. Um, COVID really kind of threw a curveball into all of it. Um, I know a bunch of my college buddies right now are getting organized for a ski trip up in the Reno, Nevada area. Well, excuse me, in the Tahoe area. Um, I went on that trip last year. And I don't ski, but I had a great time. And I, you know, I didn't go skiing with them, but we, you know, went out for dinner and other things. I just had a great time reconnecting with old friends. I'm hoping we can do that again. I'm hoping the COVID situation is a little bit more chill by then. This will be in mid-February, I think. I got to recheck the dates. Um, I really enjoyed the trips I made last year to Butte, Montana, and to San Francisco to work on my ancestry, which is just a very rewarding project for me, where it gives me, you know, not only a lot of fulfillment, learning about my past, learning about my ancestors, and I've been really, really building up my file on Ancestry.com, but it's also a good excuse for a road trip and a, a good adventure to go on, like Bilbo Baggins, you know, we go on our own little fun adventure. Um, 
I, I really want to plan more for next year. I just don't know how or when or where. And a lot of it's because of COVID. So in the meantime, I need to find out an alternative plan, kind of like what I did when, when I went to Nevada. But, you know, some of these might be solo, but some might be with family. Some might be my wife and I. I just got to figure a lot of this out. But that's another big part of what I want to plan out for my next 100 days. I mean, what about you? Um, our viewers and listeners or anything that you want to work on. Maybe you're already planning your New Year's resolutions. Maybe you're thinking like I am. We have a new president and it's going to be a new new era, time to turn the page. Maybe there are things in store for you in your future. And I think we have to keep thinking that way, that the the politics and, and the, the, the Trump and Biden and the cable news and you know, it, it, it sucks us in and it's interesting and it's addictive to a degree. Um, but we have to always kind of gain a sense of perspective that what's really important is that you are the president of you and that you focus on yourself and you don't feel guilty about focusing on yourself. I mean, you, you should be pursuing your own happiness and doing it with vigor. Be all that you can be. And I think that's the mindset I I would hope that we have, especially if we can get beyond COVID, when we're going to have a lot more liberty and flexibility to live our own life. Okay. So, um, what else? Um, hey, you know, I, I never, I didn't give my pitch. Uh, please like, please share, please subscribe. You know, it, it, whatever you can do to help build our audience would be so helpful. I'd be very thankful for your support. If you think we deserve it, you can leave a rating, especially if you're listening to this on on Apple Podcasts. You know, you can actually leave a five star rating if you think we deserve it. You can write a sentence a paragraph talking about what you love or what you hate about the John Riley project, any kind of commentary or uh, positiveness is always welcome. And it's, again, I feel like I'm begging and pleading for your applause. That's not what I mean. Um, what I do mean is, is that all of that helps out um, our ability to kind of build the audience, to spread the message. The more likes, the more subscribes we get, the more frequently we turn up on searches in YouTube. And the more frequently we turn up on searches on a lot of other podcast platforms, that helps a lot. Um, so any, any help you can provide would be just so greatly appreciated. Um, and yet, of course we can always continue the conversation on social media. I welcome your thoughts there on the John Riley project on Facebook, my handle on Twitter, John Riley Poway. And I have a closing quote. And this one is from F Scott Fitzgerald, you know, one of the classic authors of the 20th century. I think he was, was he, he was the writer of the great Gatsby, I think. Um, But I thought this was appropriate. You know, we're thinking about Biden's first 100 days, right? And we're thinking about what are your next first 100 days going to be? And F. Scott Fitzgerald says, it's never too late to become who you want to be. I hope you live a life that you're proud of. And if you find that you're not, I hope you have the strength to start over. That's wonderful. Isn't that a wonderful message? I I hope you're living the life you want to want to live. But if not, I hope you have the strength to start over. For me, I'm not starting over, but I'm refocusing on what's important to me. What is 
consistent with my own life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? What is in my best interest? And really focusing there um, and really trying to subtract from my life all of the physical things and mental things that are really unnecessary, that are clutter, that are noise, that are distractions, and simplifying, purifying, and being better. And I hope you have the strength to do that too. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching. This is the John Riley Project episode 186. It's Friday, November 6th. I guess rain is coming to San Diego tonight and into tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. And I wish you all a very safe and happy weekend. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.